Picture it, Los Angeles, 2023. Welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you're ever going to need to listen to. I am Sadie Pine slash H. Allen Scott. Thank you. And I'm Carrie Doherty. You're welcome. <laughs> and this is a podcast where we used to watch an episode of the Golden Girls and talk about it, but we ran out of those episodes. And then we watched the Golden Palace and we ran out of those too. And so now, now, now we do whatever the hell we want. We sure do. But before we announce what we're doing today, if you didn't already know everyone, tickets are officially on sale for our live show in Los Angeles. It's Out on the Lanai presents a Golden Girls celebration. It's happening Sunday, September 24th at Dynasty Typewriter here in Los Angeles. Doors are at 630. The show is at 730. Alaska Thunderfuck is going to be there. Elliot Glazer is going to be there. There are going to be drag performances, a costume contest, trivia, prizes. I sound like a used car salesman, but really, there are going to be so many amazing things. Tickets are $20 in advance. They're $25 at the door. For those who are not in Los Angeles, for $15, you can watch a live stream. Tickets available for the live stream are at the same link. You can go to outonthelanai.com slash live to get those tickets. And we're so excited to see all of you there. And for those who are watching on the live stream, you will be there with us in spirit, yes. like the spirit of Rose's dead husband when <laughs> Sophia saw the fruit or baby baby when baby went home and died um the pig baby yes uh, i remember okay good you looked at me for a moment like i was crazy and i was like i'm talking about a pig um, i just couldn't remember if baby had actually died that's why well baby died I, that's when what got, i was thinking when about he, when he got home you know yeah. um anyway uh, R.I.P. Baby. R.I.P. Coco. <laughs> no also like if you aren't in los angeles and you are planning on attending via the live stream but you have friends in Los Angeles, it would do us a big favor sharing with all of your golden girl friends here in the Southern California area, because we want as many people in those seats as possible. Because if you've ever been to any sort of golden girls live type of event or golden con or anything, the spirit, the joy, the people that are in the room, it's just infectious. It's a wonderful thing. It will make your month. It will make your year. You'll remember it forever. It's just one of those things. So if you can attend live, I I just you you should be there because it's not and not just for our sake for the sake of just like the Golden Girls community it's a really fun atmosphere to be in and I really I really encourage every Golden Girls fan and, to be there in and person. And also not to spoil anything but you've you've been sending me bits and pieces bits and bobs yes. of what you're going to be doing at this show. Yes. And when I tell you I, I don't think I've ever been more excited for a live show <laughs> purely based on what I know you are going to do. Oh. Um, and and I, I hope I'm not putting any pressure on you oh, whatsoever. No. Uh, but I'm just I'm so excited to see it come mm. to life on stage. And I cannot wait for everybody else to see it. Too. I'm excited for it, too. And I've also been privy to what Elliot and Alaska both together and separately are doing. And it's there are there are things being planned that are very exciting even one thing that you don't know yet because we literally started recording us we didn't even chat beforehand so i have more news for you when we're not recording but exciting things are coming from our other guests too it is going to be a killer 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 show also we may just have surprise appearances on via video from some other golden girls podcast hosts and we have prizes coming from two 
people in the Golden Girls community that are VIPs to us. They are part of our GG family. We love keeping it in the family. And the prizes you'll be receiving at the show are going to be coming from Chris Gallo of Golden Girls Posters. Everyone loves that account, the Instagram account. His shirts are everywhere. You see a Golden Girls shirt in the wild. It's probably from Chris Gallo, right, Carrie? I mean, you have some of Chris's yeah, shirts, too. I mean, yes, I have the Created by Susan Harris um, shirt, and I was so lucky enough to meet Chris at Golden Con. Such a sweetheart. And Chris was so much fun, and I ended up buying Chris Makes Amazing um uh golden girls posters mm. um so i have a couple of those up on my wall um just super super talented artist yeah um as well as we also another have another yes. super fan kevin klein my favorite non-academy award winning he's not he's not the actor who won the oscar in 1988 no but he is just as talented and brilliant and smart and handsome and all of the things kevin klein all of it and his poster, we are going to be giving off. Well, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not even going to say. I'm not even going to say which one. Actually, I did. I did on Instagram today. So I'm going to say it. His Where's Waldo, Golden Girls inspired Where's Waldo poster. We'll be giving that away at the show as well, which is so exciting because, I mean, in my opinion, just this is purely my opinion. I don't want to start a, a, a heated debate in the Golden Girls community. I think it is one of the best pieces of fan art that has ever existed yes. in the history of I, Golden Girls. I, I think so too. I think it is. And I said this on Kevin's Instagram account today. I think the sort of Where's Waldo Golden Girls poster, it's sort of the Jim Colucci books of yes. Golden Girls fan art because of the number of references yeah. that are in it. And it is so fun. Every time you look at that poster, you could see something that you didn't notice before it's that's so in true. it. Um, a true labor of love. I mean, both yeah. Chris and Kevin, everything they do related to the Golden Girls is a labor of love. Yeah. And so that's why we're so excited uh, to be able to give away some of their artwork yeah. um, at the show, which is why come prepared to answer trivia questions. Come yeah. prepared in your costumes for the costume contest because yeah. that is where these prizes will be going. And also, I mean, just like we said, like Chris and Kevin are part of the Golden Girls family and so are you. And we want everyone that's in the Golden Girls family to be in that room with us that night. So get your tickets at outonthelanai.com slash live for Sunday, September 24th at Dynasty Typewriter. OMG, I'm so excited. We need to talk about today's episode, though, because I am also just equally as excited about today's episode. I know. I'm I'm already wondering how long we're going to go because <laughs> we have so much more to talk about. I feel like so, guys, today we're back. This is part two of our golden deep dive into the life and career of Beatrice Arthur. Uh, if you haven't yet listened to part one, pause this episode, go back, listen to last week's yeah. episode, and then come back because we talked a lot uh, about her early career in theater, her lovely relationship with Angela Lansbury, mm -hmm. just her upbringing, so many amazing things. Yeah. Um. So go do that if you haven't listened yet. But last week when we wrapped up Part one, we were discussing B's first appearance on All in the Family as the character of Maude Finlay and how the president of CBS called Norman Lear after the episode aired and said, we've got to give that woman her own show. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Can you imagine? I can't. Can you imagine? I can't. You do one guest spot on a television show and all of a sudden you're getting your own spinoff? 
What? I, I when has that ever happened? I mean, in to, television history, it happened to B. Arthur. That's what who it happened to, as it should. The queen of television. No, I have to say, even before we even get into anything about part two or even just part one, the response to be Arthur part one and us doing this was exactly what I had hoped it would be. People seem to really get engaged in the conversation about B and little things about B and little mysteries about B like the, like the military service and all of the other things. I took things. a poll. People seem yeah. to be very into it, which is so exciting for, I think for both of us, because we both were so, so, so excited to be doing these, which makes me even now more excited to do the other girls life and careers. Cause it's like, this is different for us to do, but it also, you know, we've always considered this podcast to be sort of like an archive of the Golden Girls in a lot of ways, especially for Golden Girls fans. And we want to talk about every episode and talk about everything we possibly can related to the girls. And doing this sort of is a is a really important part of that archive, in my opinion. And so I'm really glad that people responded to it and they seem to be enjoying it, which is just so nice for us. Yeah, it's been really exciting. And just it's just been really fun to again i'm learning things yeah all the time about these women that i didn't know well and we one thing so one much, thing oh, one sorry, thing before ahead. um before we do if you if you are enjoying this or you're enjoying anything that we're doing with the podcast or anything new with the podcast i want to say this up top up front before we get started with anything it is very important to leave a, a rating and review if you do like this podcast and you do like what we're doing with these behind the the, the life and careers of these girls and so Please go to wherever you're listening to podcast and leave a rating and review if you've never done it before. Or on Spotify, you can actually start like a like a comment thread on the episode, like on the actual episode in Spotify. You can comment on the that post. So go do the things, leave the ratings, leave the reviews. It really, 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 really does help us a lot, and we would greatly appreciate it. Great. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Okay. Should we take a break? and then come back and we're gonna jump right into mod, yeah? Yes, yes we should. Lady Godiva was a freedom rider. She didn't care how the whole world looked. I, I don't know, I can't actually do justice to the theme song like I can to the Golden Girls theme song, so I'll just go like I always do. You can ask Michael, I do this all the time. And then there's Maud. Then there's Maud, and then there's Maud. I mean, literally, weekly, it comes out of my mouth. I was hoping that you were going to bring us back from commercial break <laughs> in song, and you didn't disappoint. I mean, I thought about actually putting the theme song in here because it would be much better than my voice. But today, guys, we have 24 clips we're playing for you from her iconic, from Maud on in her career. So I figured, let's let's not have one more. Let's, yeah, let's not have your soundboard explode. Yes, exactly. So yeah, let's talk about Maud, shall we? Oh my God. So guys, if you aren't familiar with Maud, I mean, this is a Golden Girls podcast, so you're probably more familiar with the Golden Girls. So the premise of Maud is pretty simple. It's built around B's one-time appearance, or she was on there twice, excuse me, on All in the Family. And it was about Maud Finley, who she's an outspoken, middle-aged, politically liberal woman living in suburban Tuckahoe. New York, the best title for a town in the history of television. Wouldn't you agree, Carrie? Yeah, it's right up there with like Altoona. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's yeah, also probably people. why on, I think, Drag Race, he, 
RuPaul uses Tuckahoe quite a bit. That might be why um, RuPaul does oh, that. Oh, that would be so incredible yeah. for the Golden Girls love from RuPaul I to know. spread out into other B. Arthur projects. I think that might be why. I mean, I, I can't, that's speculation on my end. Um, but Maude is living with her fourth husband, household appliance, and store owner, Walter Finley. Am I saying the last name right? Finley? I think so. Um, I always just know them from their first names. Anyway, the show also involved Maude's adult daughter from a past marriage, Carol, who was played by the amazing Adrienne Barbeau, who was one of B's best friends until the end of her life. I remember watching them when the DVD set came out about Maude, watching them talk about it on The View, and it was just, their bond was incredible. The show also features um, Maude's neighbors, Dr. Arthur Harmon, played by Conrad Bain, and... He was like a Republican, kind of stuffy, kind of crazy, like kind of, up, you know, an uppity neighbor. And But his wife was the scatterbrained Vivian, played by Rue McClanahan. Rue, and oh. then there's Rue. <laughs> and then there's Vivian. But no, so we're, we're not going to go deep on Vivian today because we're going to do that when we do the life and times of Rue McClanahan. So like... Wait for that one. But she was also on this, and it's incredible that she was a part of the series. Yes. Um, and the show went on, I think it was, 19... how many seasons did oh, they do? I think it was exactly the same as the Golden Girls. Seven, seven seasons. As well. Yeah, six or seven. Um, yeah, and it started airing in the 70s. Um, a lot of Emmy nominations and Emmy wins, Oh, yes, I believe, she won. For, she won for the B. Emmy. Arthur. Yep. Um, B was thrilled to have her own show she always said it was incredibly exciting for her uh, a few fun facts about b arthur and maude uh one b arthur didn't have a talent agent until she got maude uh which is kind of wild to be an actor who's not represented by having an agent a manager nothing yeah. and to just get your own tv show that doesn't happen um, in hollywood guys it just, doesn't happen you know, in hollywood doesn't happen. uh and the only reason she says she even got an agent was because she was friends with norman lear and she didn't want to have to talk money with him so <laughs> which makes sense i mean you don't which, talk that makes sense you don't want to talk money with your friends no. oh it can be so Awkward. weird Awkward. um but i love that she was like her whole thing was like i didn't need one i just got one because i didn't want to talk money with my pal I mean. um another thing that's fun about b arthur and mod uh so in her 2001 television academy interview we're, that we're playing so many clips from today we did last week she says that she goes to bed early at night so she can wake up at 4 30 in the morning to watch mod on tv land oh. which I love, and she says, uh, she says she's still so amazed and proud at what I see, even though I weighed about 20 pounds more than I do now. <laughs> um, and then, like, throughout the interview, as they're talking about Maud, she'll keep bringing up episodes. She'll be like, oh, my gosh, last, oh, yeah, a couple, on Thursday, Thursday morning, right, I woke up at 4.30, and I was watching the one where, and it's so funny, and she says it so much throughout the interview, uh, and then later in the interview, she also mentions that she watches the Golden Girls yeah. from six to seven p.m. You know, it and surprises she says, me. Go ahead. Oh, and and just she says that she would be like watching episodes, and she'd go, "Oh God, that's good." It surprises me that she would watch her own stuff because she's based just on the she was such a shy, private person that you know I just would assume she probably wouldn't like watching herself. But again, maybe, yeah, she kind of struck me as that person too. Yeah. Like, and I, I mean, Stan doesn't like to watch himself and anything, but I wonder if for B, she was just, it was less about her own performance and watching herself and more about 
just knowing how good it was that she can't help but watch it because in the moment of making those episodes of of taping them, of doing the table reads, of watching the audience's reaction that she's like reliving those moments because it really is just Mm -hmm. great television, like objectively. In watching the interviews, you know, these interviews that we're playing clips from, she it's clear that she loved working on Maud, and even though it was difficult and it was one of the most rewarding aspects of her career and also one of the most difficult. And let's let's take a little listen to what she says about Maud in the interview. We did great shows. The writing was wonderful and the, the acting and the, the joy of it was. And everyone contributed, you know, it was never there were never any egos involved or anything. It was just pure, unadulterated fun. But it was hard work. It was hard work. I think my life changed. I mean, that's, I think it destroys a marriage. It, In what way? Your whole life is devoted to that project. At least, if you're me, I mean by that that... Uh, I wanted it to be so good. I remember. Yeah, and you know, her talking about that. It just to its note, she um, and her husband divorced just a couple of years after Maud went off the air. If not right when Maud went off the air, if I'm if I if I remember correctly, I don't have the number in front of me. But yeah, it was shortly after Maud ended that her and her husband separated. So, I mean, and it took a yeah, toll. It, she does go into uh, kind of deeper detail about you know, why exactly um, it was so taxing on her. And she says that, um, you know, when they would, basically she was working every day, including weekends, because the way that the show broke down, it's not like they were, you know, reading the scripts and doing a table read on Monday and filming on Friday. And then they had the weekend off and then Monday they'd restart. It was like, a weird thing where they were it sounds like they were doing table reads on like wednesday and they do run throughs thursday friday and then they would tape on you know mondays and so she's like we would have the weekends to just think and think and stew and come up with ideas and how can we make this better so it does sound like she really was investing Mm -hmm. all of herself into that which yeah i imagine would be taxing on a marriage especially when you have children and you're both working you know um But she does say in, you know, in her interview, she says in terms of her commitment and how the show consumed her life, she said she was trying to bring her New York theater energy to the table. And she was, quote, trying to turn the sitcom into an art form. So she was really putting a lot of pressure on herself and setting the bar really high for what the show should be, Mm -hmm. you know, which technically isn't even her responsibility as the show's star. But that's how invested she was. But I mean, she also had that relationship with Norman and she was the name of the show. And it wasn't necessarily her stardom that got her the show, but it was her talent that got her the show, which I think she used that as a real onus to devote so much of herself to the show and what she wanted to be doing with it, which is, I think, so, so important. And it also is interesting, too. So there are many famous episodes of Maud, many, many famous episodes. And B. Arthur, you know, throughout her life, talked about sort of how she didn't really necessarily during that time identify with the the liberalness of the character of Maud. And it was only after her divorce from her husband that she really started to identify with the character of Maud and some of the liberal issues in which Maud spoke about. And so that to me is really telling too. That's so interesting that during this time where B. Arthur is becoming this feminist icon, 
She wasn't even necessarily a feminist in her own life. She didn't consider herself one in her own life. Right. And she became one as the years went on, particularly in the Golden Girls years. And so it is it is really fascinating. But the episodes of Maud that are iconic, there are so many iconic episodes, but there are two that almost regularly, I mean, we're going to go over three episodes, but there are two that almost always go viral, like at some point throughout the year or whenever a political thing comes up. Um, one is a queer rights episode, and the other, as you probably know, is the abortion episode, which is the one I think, it's probably the most one of the most famous pieces of television it's in television history it's one of the most famous episodes ever in the history of television but let's start with the gay episode because i'm gay um <laughs> past guest and friend of the pod matt Baum, had a great great breakdown on his youtube channel about this episode so please i highly recommend go watch that but in brief a gay bar opens in Maud's neighborhood and Maud's Republican neighbor, Arthur, is upset about it. And here's a clip of them sort of talking about the gay bar. Do you approve of homosexuals? Arthur, it doesn't matter whether I approve or I disapprove. They are human beings, they exist. It's like asking me if I approve of dwarfs. <laughs> well, that's different. There's no such thing as gay dwarfs. <laughs> Come on, Arthur, you've read Snow White. <laughs> Seven little men living together like that wake up and smell the coffee. Oh, Maud, that's just a fairy tale. See? I mean, it's just perfect writing. It oh, really it's is. So, and then the fairy tale joke, it's like you already have so many great yeah. jokes and then they just hit you with another one. But also it's so talking great. about gay rights on tell that was, I think that was during the sixth season. So talking about gay rights in the late seventies on national television, on one of the most popular shows in the country. I mean, it's just incredible. Okay. So, but beyond the gay episode, the most important episode, like I said, is the abortion episode and it's titled Maud's dilemma. It's a two-parter episode written by Susan Harris, which I think is, it's telling that, I mean, the most important episode of television in B. Arthur's career was also the other show that she did as well. Like Susan Harris is with B. Arthur to the end. Um, but it was written by Susan Harris. And Maud, at the age of 47, finds herself unexpectedly pregnant. Carol, her daughter, tells her that abortion is legal in the state of New York. And after some soul searching and discussions with her husband, Walter, who they agreed on raising a baby at their, that stage of the, in their stage of life, was probably not the best idea, nor what they wanted to be doing. And Maud decides at the end of the two-part episode that she will be getting a, an abortion, and it's the best choice for their lives and their marriage. Uh, and I want to just well, let's just play let's play the clip, and then I'll give some background. I want you to have whatever it is you want. Does that include the baby? Well, it did when, when I thought you wanted it. Well, Maud, I think it would be wrong to have a child at our age. Oh, so do I, Walter. Oh, Walter, so do I. We'd make awful parents. Oh, impatient, irascible. Awful. It's just oh, not our time well, of life. For other people, it might be fine, but for us, I, I don't think it would be fair to anybody. Oh. You know, what's so interesting, just on an off note about the whole storyline, 
in you we play clips from the Golden Girls and you can hear like there's the one episode of the woman who has sort of a cackle laugh and you really it's during the um take me Biff take me and she has sort mm-hmm. of a cackle laugh. I mean, you hear audience members stuff, but in that Are you clip, going to mention the coughing? Yeah, you hear the coughing and you hear you hear other elements of it and shuffling and, and you know in modern television especially multicam sitcoms they would take that out but in this they don't because it really is like theater it like it's like you're seeing theater on your television and you're hearing it too it's so interesting the other thing unrelated to the audience the other thing i really like about that clip that i hadn't noticed i, I guess until i just listened to it again for the second time um cuz i did watch the episode recently is that you know walter says you know i don't think we'd be good parents at this age that's just us like for others that might be fine for them but yeah. not for us yeah. and and i do like that that you know in that moment there was they weren't passing judgment on people who did decide to have children a little bit later in life the whole episode's and I just, like that and I, mean, I think that yeah i think that's yeah. very it's very respectful to sort of point out that you know having an abortion it it, it is all about like your specific situation and what mm-hmm. is best for you yeah. um and i like that they they sort of highlighted that too in terms of not just people who get abortions but the people who also decide to have children a little well, bit later they in also life. do that throughout the episode i mean there's a great part in the first part of the two-parter episode where you know carol's daughter of course is very pro-abortion and saying it's legal in the state of new york you should go do it just go do it it's simple go do it and B. Arthur, or not B. Arthur, Maud is like, she's struggling because she for years has spoken out about a woman's right to choose and like all these great liberal causes. And then when it happens to her, she's torn. And what I think is so poignant about that is it sort of breaks down those barriers that sort of separate us from the left and the right, you know, Republican and Democrat, moral and immoral and all of those things. And it shows that like, there's nuance and gray areas in these conversations and there's real people involved and real emotions involved. And maybe if we led with more empathy that we would have a better civilized conversation about some of these things, understanding that why people feel the way they do about whatever, however they're feeling. I think it's, I think it's a really, this episode is so, if you can watch it on YouTube, they have the full 50 some minutes of it's like both episodes put together into one clip. Definitely go watch it. Um, we'll put it in the in the show notes for this episode. But the timing of this episode is also incredibly important. So at the time, and in my opinion, unfortunately, just like now, abortion was only legal in certain states. And it was sort of state by state that abortion was legal. And women would have, or just anyone who could get pregnant would have to go to different states in order to be able to receive that, that health care um, if they couldn't get it in their own home state. So the fact that this nationwide hit show, huge show, this is early on in the show's run, she is riding that wave of All in the Family. She's riding that wave of popularity, and this episode airs. And it it's showing an abortion storyline in states where it is actually illegal to get an abortion. And that is kind of wild to think about. Um, the episode And this aired- was in the first season of the show, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. November 1972 is when the episode aired, just two months before the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade, which made abortion uh, legal in every state. And it's that, to me, is just so surprising about the timing. And you can't, you can't not 
think that the conversation around abortion it, it ignited because of this episode didn't fuel that that movement or what happened there, right. you know, what I mean? or the, at least that conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the timing is so so poignant. Um, here's B talking about that episode, the abortion episode. We tackled so many. Nothing had ever been done before. Uh, I remember that there was a cover of Time magazine. Uh, I have it in the office that had a, a three pictures on the cover. It was Carol O'Connor, me, and Red Fox. And uh, the title was Breaking, Breaking Taboos, something like that. So that none of this had ever been, you know, we're talking about leave it to beaver. Television was not ready for this. And I will also say that time cover, um, if you just Google it, it is it really is a pretty powerful um, magazine cover. And I love that she had it in her office as well. Um, The show, I mean, the show also handled it handled so many controversial subjects at the time. They talked about race, mental health, aging, Uh, as B once put it, you know, we tackled every subject except hemorrhoids. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and again, it all leads back to Norman Lear. And and I think just what a profound storyteller and just remarkable human being he was. What do they call or is? He is. Is, yes. Oh, gosh. Did I say was? Oh, dear Lord. No, no, no. As of this recording. I mean, he is. He is. He is a hundred and one or something. But it did lead to the the term. Oh, God, help me here. I don't know if it's even in our notes. The Norman Lear effect or something where it talks about sort of the his impact of his writing and his shows on society and the conversations people were having in society. And also someone who is putting out videos um, telling all of the writers that I think they had like Norman Lear Day um, Mm. early on in the writer's strike. And um, he like video, he like FaceTimed um, with his producing partner and they put like a megaphone to the phone so Mm. that he could talk to all the writers out there. I think it was maybe for his birthday. That's right. And everybody's saying happy birthday to him, uh, which I thought was incredibly sweet because he really is like, he's the godfather of, of sitcoms. Um, so uh, just a couple more fun facts about B and her time on Maud. Uh, she says um, in her Television Academy interview that the only story idea she ever pitched in all the seasons of Maud is the one where Maud gets a facelift, <laughs> uh, which was a two-parter episode. Uh, but she she does clarify she herself never had one, but that she's talked about it. And she thought about the episode one idea one day when she was looking in the mirror. Can I, can I just... I just need to throw some shade here. I don't believe her. I don't believe I don't believe she's telling the truth about her plastic surgery. But that's just me. I don't want to cause the drama in the community. I'm just saying if you look at side by side pictures of B. Arthur and Maud in nineteen seventy eight and the Golden Girls in nineteen eighty five, that was only seven years. You can look at pictures of me from seven years ago and I don't look that different. Well, she did she did say that she lost weight. That ain't gonna do it. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm not going to join you on the shade train. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I respect your opinion and the fact that you have one. Um I don't want people to get mad at me. Get I don't mad at me. Please get mad at me. It. You can DM me or leave it in the comments. So, um B Arthur does say that her favorite episode of Mod was the convention. 
Um, it's a real fun episode. It's just the whole episode is just Maud and her husband, Walter. It takes place in a hotel room. It's like a true bottle episode, as you'd call it in the biz. Um, so they're in the room getting ready for Walter's sales convention. Um, the episode feels a little bit like the Friends episode, the one where no one's ready. Um, but it is a lot of really amazing dialogue between Walter and Maud throughout the episode. Um, and here's B. Arthur talking about the convention episode. Mm, you're in this hotel room and I started bitching about being a woman and not not you know I had a little name plate that says hello I'm Maud Findlay and that sent me into absolute anger that I was so belittled and uh, I remember talking to him about it he said please get dressed put your dress on we have to go the thing is starting and I, I kept, I was saying, I'm a woman, and I, I want, I want to work. I want, I want to, I, I, I want to work where I, you know, that's meaningful and that make money. And he said, I'll give you five dollars to put on your dress. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And we actually we have that moment from the episode, the convention. So let's go ahead and play that. I have a degree in Romance languages. I am overeducated and underused. And late, would you please put on your dress so we can leave? It cost me $25 a plate and I can't get my money back. Did you hear what you just said? Did you hear what you just... My money! Well, it is my money. I earned it. Of course it is. That's my point. I'm totally dependent on you, Walter. I live off your income. I'm a parasite. Well, come on, Maud. You're not a parasite. You have your work just like I have mine. You get paid for what you do. Nobody gives me a dime, and that's the barometer, Walter. Money. You know you're being productive when somebody pays you money to do something. I'll give you five bucks to put on your dress. It's the pause. It's always the pause. It's so. It's such a great, funny moment yeah. and relatable and... You know, and and you can tell when you hear B. Arthur talking about it, she's sort of back in that moment, you know, reliving it and remembering mm-hmm. the lines. And yeah. it really is fun to watch her, um, you know, remember fondly these memories from so many years ago. Uh, fun fact about this episode, there is a vibrating bed in their hotel room, just like in the vacation episode of The Golden <laughs> Girls. And Maud lies on it and she it starts to vibrate and she says, Ooh, I think I'm falling in love. Um, and I just thought that was fun because it reminded me of the vacation episode. <laughs> uh, one last episode of Maud that I want to quickly highlight is The Analyst, which was basically a 22-minute monologue. You guys have to watch this episode. This had never been done in a sitcom before. B. Arthur is the only one in the episode. She's on a couch having a therapy session. Uh, and that's the whole episode. And in it, Maud pours out all of her innermost feelings. She talks about her anxieties from, you know, uh, her resentment towards her mother, feelings for her deceased father, her fear of turning 50. B said it was a very emotional experience for her. And if she talks about it too much, she'll get a little weepy. Because oh. B also says that she's someone who she said she's like an exposed nerve. Yeah. When she feels she feels and when she laughs at something she laughs with her entire body and when she feels any kind of pain or sadness it just it shows and she cries which we didn't really i thought was a very vulnerable thing for her to say we didn't really see that in her life necessarily it was in the later years that you really sort of when you 
you see some of these interviews and these conversations, you start to realize how much of an emotional person she actually was. You know, you think she's this tough, strong, like like Rue says in the show, big strapping Dorothy. Like you think she's that, but she's really she's really vulnerable. She's a blossom. She's a sun. What what is the thing? She's a flower in the corner. I don't know what the expression is. Um, another fun fact about Maud is B said that one of the biggest challenges in making a sitcom is time. So much time. With a Broadway show, you take it down, you take it out of town, rehearse it, do a run, get some feedback, and you have the time to perfect it. But with sitcoms, you've only got a few days to kind of adjust things and like make them work, to try to make everything come together. It's incredibly challenging. Yeah, yeah. She said that it sounds like for her, Broadway and theater was way more relaxed mm-hmm. than doing a sitcom. Um, and then when it comes to Maud's ending... So at the end of the sixth season, story-wise, Maude ends up being elected into Congress. She plans on moving to Washington. And as B explains it, the network wanted to keep the show going with Maude and Walter living in Washington with a whole new group of colorful characters. Uh, But B felt like it was time to end the show. And uh, we can actually hear her explain why. It was time to end it. We... I didn't want it to go downhill, you know, which is the same reason I left Golden Girls. You know, I, I feel you can only do so much. And why, you know, why keep going? It's like people now ask me, when are we going to have a Golden Girls reunion? You know, and I want to say, I say, we are not. Why would we have a reunion? I mean, it, we could never top some of the good stuff we did. I mean, she's not wrong. We are never, ever, ever <laughs> getting back together. That's what I thought when I heard that clip. Um, yeah, and it it makes sense. I get it. I get it. I yeah. get it. As much as I love the Golden Girls, you know, I, I would hate for us to have fan conversation. Now, we can all shit on the Empty Nest episode. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. But I'm so glad that when we have conversations about the Golden Girls in general, we never say, oh, God, they should have stopped after season seven. Seasons yeah. eight, nine, and ten were like, what were I they know. doing? Yeah. You know, it's, I'm just glad that Roseanne, we... Roseanne is the perfect example of a show that just went on a little too long. And Golden, you, I'm so glad Golden Girls and Maude didn't, didn't fall victim to that. You know, you think of the last season where Roseanne won the lottery, and it's what everyone says is so bad about the show. So... Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, like you can never say, oh, well, then there were the bad years of the Golden Girls, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And again, you know, anytime a show ends and, you know, those are jobs that people have and you're a family, it's a community, and that's all coming to an end. But, you know, I'm glad that she kind of, I don't want to say put her foot down, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that she felt it and and kind of went with that instinct. Yeah. Um, so when the, uh, in her television Academy interview, um, when the interviewer asks B where she thought Maude would be today in 2001, um, B says she'd be Gloria Allred, I guess, <laughs> but funny. <laughs> so true. I <laughs> Which I that. thought was really, really great. Yeah. Um, should and on need, that note, I think we I need think to take a break. Take a break. Let's do it. Cause we have so much more to talk about. You I guys. know. <laughs> Back. 
back with the B. Arthur special. It seemed like every single star in the 1970s who was on television had some kind of special. Some, I mean, Mary Tyler Moore had one. Goldie Hawn had one. I mean, literally every single person seemed to have a special. And B. Arthur was one of them. So following Maude, B. B appeared in not the Star Wars holiday special, which, of course, we covered last December on an episode of Beyond the Golden Girls. So please go listen to that. But the B. Arthur special, her own special, aired on CBS on January 19th, 1980. It was a musical comedy review with the likes of Rock Hudson, Melba Moore, Waylon Flowers, and Madame. I mean, who was a puppet. Uh, yes. <laughs> and the, there's a clip of her and Rock Hudson that often goes viral, too, because of some song they sang. But it is, I mean, this B. Arthur special is very much like Broadway, you're on Broadway, and comedy. Yes. Like, it's those two things. And B. said that she wanted Angela Lansbury on it, but the network said she wasn't a big enough star. Because just a little history on Angela there, she was... She had primarily been on on Broadway the, those past 20-some years. She, of course, was a movie star from the 40s and 50s, so people knew who she was. But she was not the murder she wrote, Angela Lansbury, that we know and love from CBS today. So 1980 was a sad time. B. Arthur was more famous than Angela Lansbury in 1980. Can you believe I just that? can't imagine. And is it Madame or is it Madam? Oh, maybe Madam. I don't, I'm not sure. Actually. I can't remember either. Oh, no, but it I is know Madame. the character very well, but I think it's... And it's fun. I did watch um, some of the bits with B, and it was it was also very big and fun. Yeah. Um, but I was like, it's just kind of a bummer that Angela Lansbury. They were like, no to you, but yes to a puppet. Yeah. But again, it's <laughs> yes. it was it was great. It was a lovely special. But let's have a little clipsy poo of um, Rock Hudson and B. Arthur singing because I love it. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stop it there, um, because like they're singing a song about drugs. Oh, literally, okay. the lines are for some it's coke. For some, it's powder. For some, it's grass. <laughs> I mean, literally, it is so wild that in 19... I mean, I'm sure it's all innuendo and stuff. But in 1980, they're singing that. Kind of insane. Kind of insane. Wow. I didn't even... The audio is not super great. No, it's not. And I didn't even pick up on what I was saying in my mind. I was like, are they saying for some, it's? Or for some, it's? No, they're literally saying like, wait, for some, like it's this, grass. To summit for some, mountain, it's coke. You know, for some, it's summit of a mountain. <laughs> yes. um, that's so funny. Yeah. I love it. And they were doing that on CBS, but they wouldn't allow Angela Lansbury. Okay, <laughs> so that was her special. Now, we're going to move on. I don't know how many people actually know this. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know this. Did you all know that between Maude and the Golden Girls, B was the star of another ensemble yes. sitcom. I did know this. I did not know this. Because I'm a big so, Monty Python fan, so I knew it. Okay. So the show is called Amanda's, and it's based on the wildly successful British show Faulty Towers, which I do know, and I have seen Faulty Towers, uh, starring John Cleese. Um, Amanda's uh, was about a woman named Amanda Cartwright, played by B. Arthur who's the owner of a struggling seaside hotel in California called Amanda's by the Sea. Uh, she runs the place with her with her son, her daughter-in-law, a bumbling chef, and a bellhop. Can we both agree B. Arthur does not look like an Amanda? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. She does not. <laughs> she does not look like an Amanda. No. 
Um, the show was created by um, Elliot Schoenman. Uh, he was a young mod writer. Uh, it aired on ABC from February 10th to May 26th of 1983. It only lasted one season. They made 13 episodes, but only 10 aired on TV, which is rough. Uh, the show was basically like the upside down world of the Golden Palace, where instead of Blanche Rose and Sophia struggling to run a hotel, it's just Dorothy running a hotel. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that's, character, that was sort of my take I on mean, watching the pilot of Amanda's. This was basically a rehearsal for B. Arthur to play Dorothy. Like she was prepping to play Dorothy with this character. She was smart, pragmatic. She doesn't take bullshit from anyone. And we actually have a clip from the pilot episode where she's at the front desk dealing with some Uppity customers. Are you guaranteed that this is a quiet room? 101 is our quietest room. You're absolutely sure. Would you like me to write it in blood? <laughs> Mrs. Cartwright, my husband is in need of a complete rest. That's right. I've just been through a very grisly murder trial. And just my luck, you were acquitted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the writing's good. Seems funny. Yeah, it seems. I mean, you know, coming from a mod writer, you mm -hmm. know, it's like it's somebody who was mentored by Norman Lear, just like Susan Harris. Um, but B, as it turns out, was not a huge fan of the show. Uh, here's what she had to say about Amanda's when the uh, interviewer from the Television Academy asked if she had any input on the show. Complained bitterly. I mean, because I uh, there was nowhere to go. There was. I remember darling Norman came and looked at it and said, well, it's very simple. He said, you don't have a character. There's nothing, you, you're not playing anything. Except I did look lovely. I'd lost a lot of weight. I love that line. I love that. That's so, that's so something Blanche would say. You know what I mean? Where she's speaking critical of like, my father had died and I just didn't know what I was going to do with myself. But then when I looked at the pictures, I realized, oh, I looked good. I lost weight. I looked good. She does, yeah. In the interview, a couple times, she does kind of reference where she was at weight wise. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, she didn't have any input, and she says she just complained bitterly. Um, so another a fun fact. So Amanda's was actually the second attempt at an American version of Faulty Towers. The first being in 1978 for ABC, starring Harvey Corman who B. Arthur performed with in the Star Wars Holiday Special, uh, and also the one and only. Betty White. <gasps> mm -hmm. So a pilot was filmed for this version, but it wasn't picked up to air on TV. And then a third attempt of an American adaptation of Faulty Towers was made by CBS in 1999. It was called Pain. It starred John Lar Larroquette uh, and was canceled after only eight episodes. So I don't know, everyone. Maybe we should just stop trying to remake Faulty Towers because yeah. clearly it ain't working. Just go so, watch Faulty Towers, y'all. Just go watch Faulty Towers. It's, an, it's yeah, actually a very funny why? British show. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. This is why I don't want a revamped Golden Girls. I don't need it. We had the oh, Golden Girls. But that Give segue is perfect because we have reached the Golden Girls part <gasps> of B. Arthur's Life and Times. Oh, my God. So we all know. We all know. We're not going to rehash this. We all know the story of how B. learned about the Golden Girls. B.'s agent called her and said, What's this new sitcom you're doing? And she was like, what are you talking about? Which is how I imagine she probably responded. Um, and the agent explained that there was this 30-minute sitcom script going around town, and it was about four older women, and one of them was described as a B. Arthur type. And this was the first B. had ever heard of this idea, so she asked to read the, the pilot, and here's what she said about it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was one of the funniest, most adult 
hilarious, sophisticated, terrific, delicious things I had ever read. I mean, I didn't even think, you know, it's older women or younger women. I just knew that it was writing that was terrific. So I said, yes, I'd do it. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about it's becoming a uh, a successful sitcom. I just, I loved the script and we did it and it was such fun. And I mean, when their search for a B. Arthur type, of course, went to Elaine Stritch and there's a, in an Elaine Stritch Broadway show, she has a really funny story about how she bombed her Golden Girl audition because she used a colorful word. Very funny, very funny moment. Um, so yes, B. Arthur, of course, had many wonderful things to say about the chemistry she had with the other women on the show and how the episodes were funny and real and were just so incredible because we know they are. Why would we do a podcast about them if they weren't? And why would she stay up watching them from six to seven every night? (laughs) I mean, I love that. I love that she did that. Uh, She especially loved the dynamic that Dorothy had with Stan and Sophia. Here she is talking about some of that. The mother-daughter relationship, I don't think, has. I think it's one of the greatest relationships I have ever, ever seen or read or heard. I mean, you talk about a love-hate relationship. It was just delicious. You couldn't go wrong with it, you know? Was it there right from the start? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, the way she would put me down and... It was lovely. I love that pause. The way she would put me down, just lovely. (laughs) And it really is. It is one of my favorite parent-child relationships on television. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, so good. It's so, so good. It's so good. It's so beautiful. Um, Now, we all know how difficult, H. Allen, it can be to choose your favorite Golden Girls episode. It's so hard. I forget. Have we ever actually narrowed it down and said this is my number one favorite episode? Yeah, we have. I mean, I know a little romance is like it always is my go to. It's sort of one that I put on pretty regularly. And yours is the case of Libertine Bell, right? You know, I've said uh, case of the Libertine Bell is up there. but. I now side with you mm. and and I and I and I break away from Elliot when I say that the earlier seasons I think are actually better than the later seasons overall. Yeah. overall but but overall. I mean Elliot likes to say that we whenever Elliot describes that of me at least he says that you know I firmly believe and I'm like well no I still like the old seasons like don't 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 yeah. don't, don't make don't imply that I hate them I love I, them. Yeah uh, it's I still don't think I can pick just one. A little romance is definitely up there for me. We mm-hmm. rewatched you know Ladies of the Evening recently. That one has some really solid writing. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't I still can't pick just but one. But B also had a lot of favorites. She couldn't pick one either. Yeah, yeah, she couldn't pick one either, but there is one that she recalls very fondly, and let's listen to that one. Favorites, though, has to be when uh, Estelle, uh, Sophia, signed us up for a mother-daughter beauty uh, contest at the home at uh, Shady Pines. And for the talent section, we did Sonny and Cher singing I Got You, Babe. And our fabulous, we had a costumer, Judy Evans, who dressed us. It was the most bizarre, interesting, wonderful. There was little Estelle with a little fur jacket on and a mustache. You know, I had hair down to here with the whole thing. And, and uh, we sang, I Got You, Babe. 
It's wonderful. So, oh, God, it was fun. That was really fun. The way she gets excited about it even then. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. She's She really is, like, reliving these moments. Yeah. And it's just, it's so nice. It's definitely it's worth, so nice. I mean, despite the interviewer, the, it definitely is worth watching this, y'all. You really should watch it. Um, She also yeah. said... That she loved, I mean, she loved all the episodes with Stan. Any episode with Stan, she was a fan of. She loved Ladies of the Evening with Mr. Burt Reynolds, which we just did uh, just a few episodes ago. She loved them all. Well, almost all of them. <laughs> no, the only, the only thing I was ever reluctant to tackle was a, uh, a thing we did on Golden Girls about raising, raising minks for... Um, for fur, which we couldn't get out of. I remember I was, I was horrified. I love that. I love that she hated that. Yeah, and of course she hated it, and I'm sure Betty did too. And and look, I feel like I said this uh, when we watched the episode. I, like, I understand why the writers did it, right? The Mink story thematically paired well with Blanche's struggle with going through menopause. But I also feel like maybe... Knowing that the women were such big animal lovers, the writers would have figured out another story that also felt right thematically, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a, it's a respect thing, but, I but I, it's also hard to churn out that many episodes of television. So um, another uh, episode that the interviewer brings up is love under the big top. Uh, B says she didn't really love that episode either but that she did love working with Dick Van Dyke. Uh, she actually calls him delicious. She says delicious <laughs> quite often in this interview. She, I mean, I love that she loves that word. There's also a fun moment in the interview when B is asked how she feels about her fame. And she actually loved it. She loved being famous. She loved being recognized. She said that Rue McClanahan was shocked to learn that B goes to the grocery store and the post office herself. And there's a really sweet moment that, that we, we just we have to play. Thing, uh, possibly, be- I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not uh, Julia Roberts, but uh, people, people genuinely like you, and if they come up to you, you know, in the canned goods department, and you say, thank you, aren't you sweet? Thank you very much. The canned goods. You know who else was like that? Mm. You know who else, a, a person I interviewed that I was so happy that they had that kind of reaction? Bette Midler. Really? Yeah. When we were, when I interviewed her, I was, I was so nervous because you don't meet your heroes. You know what I mean? And, and I was so nervous that maybe she would not like that. I was such a fan and, and that I was less of an interviewer and more of a fan. And she loved it and she followed through and she sent me a bunch of stuff. And she, I mean, it's, it's, it's same with B. Arthur. I mean, it's that exactly that vibe of how she was in that responding to that question. It was very yeah. similar to B. Arthur. And I think those are some of the best artists because I think they're grateful for the people who really are with them to the end, you know? I will also say, while we're talking about people who have good reputations, um, Henry Winkler oh, is yeah. notoriously nice to where he'll like show up for table reads. I've heard stories of him and he'll shake everybody's hand and hey, how are you? How's your sister? Did she have fun in Florida? Yeah. Hey, hey, oh Max, it's so good to see you. How's the baby? Is she yeah. drinking her milk okay now? I'd heard all these stories about Henry Winkler being the nicest guy. And when I worked for IMDB, I was working in my office one day and Henry was coming in to do an interview. I was not interviewing Henry. Mm-hmm. And the the interview is going on. I'm in my office by myself. And I hear him leaving. 
but like it's taking a while and I hear him and he keeps talking and he was going around to everybody and saying hello and all of a sudden he pokes his head in my office and he goes hi hi I'm Henry nice to meet you and I went hi I'm Carrie he went I like your hat and I went cool and he went have a good one and I went you too and and he left and I was like the stories are true so great (laughs) he just turned me down for an interview though Wait, what? He just turned me down for an interview. <laughs> oh, it's probably just because he's, he's busy. Fishing. I'm sure he's very busy. I'm sure he's very busy. He has a new book coming out and I requested an interview. But I'm just, I had to put that on the record. Um, <laughs> oh, no. it's pro- Honestly, it's probably because he's fishing. <laughs> yes. So we all know that on May 9th, 1992, after 180 episodes, The Golden Girls aired its final episode of course it then moved to cbs for the golden palace we all know that we did the whole rewatch of it um and of course we all know that the show ended because b was dunzos she said she same reason why she wanted golden girls to end was the same reason why she wanted maude to end she wanted to go out on top it just felt like the right time yeah yeah it just felt like the right time for her uh and in her television academy interview b was asked how the other women felt about her departure I don't know. I'm, I, I mean, because they were so supportive. I mean, we never, they never said, you miserable, you know. I mean, it was always. But I loved my last episode. Leslie Nielsen and I got married. I mean, it's just perfect. Just perfect. Just perfect. Well, we I know that that's the end of the Golden Girls. But, but it's this not is the not end. the end of the episode. Uh, this, yeah, should we, we take a break? Yes, we should. We should. <laughs> So at this point in B. Arthur's life, she was, well, she wasn't done with TV, but she was, I mean, she's like not actively being on a television show is basically what she does. So Yeah, she, she was done with series regular roles. Yes. She would be fine to like pop in now and then. But. Yes, and she did many, many notable guest star appearances on a whole assortment of shows. Uh, Dave's World, which people love. People have messaged us about we should watch the Dave's World episode with B. Arthur. Malcolm in the Middle, which we covered uh, in a past episode. Curb Your Enthusiasm, which was her, I believe her final credit was Curb Your Enthusiasm, where she played um, Larry David's mother in heaven. It's it's literally a blink and you'll miss it scene, but it's so, so funny. And my personal favorite, my personal favorite of all time, and people are going to be surprised by this. I know this, but it's her appearance. On Judge Judy. Not and never have been in full ag- agreement with everything that PETA has brought about. I am not a vegetarian, although I have I have done things like trying to get foie gras off the shelves because of the force feeding of animals. I do believe I do believe in experimenting medically, provided that the animals are not mistreated yes judge can so judge I, can, I don't want to be lumped with everything that Peter stands for it is still bonkers that she was on judge judy i know it was for a Peter thing i know it was all for animal rights it was perfect i mean she did it because she thought she could get exposure for the cause she believed in and i love that about her but it is still one of the most wild things that exists in the universe about b arthur when was this oh god i don't even remember the time um but it has to have been in the early aughts and and 
she's just. I thought she was going to say, "I do vow to." I was waiting, (laughs) but don't you love a moment in that clip where it sounded like she was going to say, "I do vow to." Don't you love that when she's talking about she that she says she believes in the you know medical experimentation of on animals, but then she gets so almost violently angry when she's like, "Provided by that they are treated respectfully," like she gets like angry in that. I love she was such a committed animal activist on a level that is just you have to be proud of okay so this was 1996 96 okay yes 96 that, she that was acting sense. b was acting as an expert witness for PETA, who was suing a wild cat mm. trainer who mistreated them yeah wow good for her you surprised me with this clip i was unaware of its existence really because it's the one that goes people have asked me for years why 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 and for a long time the episode was the clip was not available it's just some very smart person found it and put it on YouTube. And thank you. If you're listening, thank you. Wow. Okay. Well, so she was on Judge Judy. Um, so, you know, by the time Golden Girls was over, you know, she'd been doing her appearances. Uh, you know, B said her life was too precious. She didn't want to be driven like that anymore. And, you know, the way that she was sort of talking about how doing sitcoms as, mm-hmm. you know, full-time cast member was very time consuming and, uh, it was a lot of time, energy, commitment. So she wanted to get back to her first love, singing. You know what that means. Bee's coming back to Broadway. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it so much. So, Oh, that would have been a really great moment to set up a, um, a, com- a commercial break. I know. <laughs> I know. It would have been, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, in, right after this. In May. Well, we could put an ad here too if y'all want it. Um, no, too in, many. In May of 2001, B. Arthur decided it was time to go back to the stage and eventually Broadway. So over the course of that year, B toured 26 cities with, and then there's B, a one woman show slash musical where B would tell stories and sing. I saw it. It was. I saw multiple versions of it. It was incredible. I remember her being barefoot, but I don't have. I could not find a, a, to, a to verify that. I can't find a fact to verify that. But I remember her being barefoot, and that roadshow eventually got a Broadway run with a new title, "Just Between Friends," which had forty-eight, which had forty-eight performances from January to March of two thousand and two. And here's B. Here's what B had to say about the show right before she was about to premiere on Broadway is everyone knows television but I I had no idea to what extent you know I mean by that that tickets were sold before as soon as word got out you know which I guess has to do with the fact that people see you in their living room and they think you're a friend you know and they want to they want to continue with you so keep everything crossed because it's what I want to do yeah. And we should note that when she says keep everything crossed, she's crossing her fingers, which is very <laughs> sweet. Um, I also like to pretend that the just between friends is like a little wink to the joust between friends episode of I the Golden so. Girls. I but so. maybe I don't think it was, me. but I hope so. I the show was so so much fun and it's just her singing and telling stories. And you can listen to the soundtrack and a lot of the stories on the album for the show, the Broadway album soundtrack for the show. Or anywhere, wherever you stream too. It's definitely, definitely worth it. But here's a little bit of her singing in the show. Where do you start? How do you separate the present from the past? 
How do you deal with all the things you thought would last That didn't last With bits of memory scattered here and there I look around and don't know where to start You listen to her voice there And this is a woman who is Nine years away from dying Literally And it sounds just as good As when she was in MAME Some what would it have been 40 years before 30 years before that and 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 her presence and the way she i mean i didn't see the broadway show but i saw the touring show and the way that she commanded the stage commanded the attention by just her talking i mean there are some stand-ups that can't even do that like it's just she was just it was it was almost the perfect like you didn't feel like she was it was the end was coming, but you also knew that she was older and, you know, you knew it. And and it's just so poignant to listen to the songs from it. Even when I was doing the research for this and listening to the album, it made me really emotional because I remember when B. Arthur died. I was standing outside Bed Bath & Beyond in New York on on 6th Avenue. And, of course you were. And my, I know, all right? And my mom had called me and she told me and I started to cry on the street. And mm. just listening to the album, it just it reminds you of what a gift it was that she gave that to us in her last years and that we have that album and we have that moment and we have, you know, and, and it inspired so much of what you and I do now with our lives, you know, talking about these things and having the live shows and the community that we're in. It's just, it really hit me. And that song was poignant in that way for me. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I also love that be she came back to mm-hmm. her love singing on stage yeah and and that and that's where this all started it started with her on the stage wanting to be a singer and she had all of this fame and fortune in television and i just love that she had that chance to go back to do what she really loved to do mm-hmm. in a less stressful way uh in her later years and in her final years because she does strike me as someone who loves performing Mm -hmm. and loves bringing people joy. And so the fact that she was able to do it in front of those live audiences, it's just magical. It's just, it's so magical. Uh, So when it comes to looking back on her career, uh, you know, when B gave this interview to the television Academy in 2001, she'd been performing for 54 years and having done, you know, everything from theater to television and films and variety shows and even ShopRite commercials, you know, her career was incredibly versatile. And here she is talking about her proudest achievement and her biggest regrets. My proudest achievement, I guess, was my first real breakthrough, which was Three Penny Opera, which was the first time that I ever came out by myself and performed. Um, Any regrets? I regret that I did the movie of MAME, (laughs) and I regret that I did a Saturday Night Live because they just didn't know how to write for me, and I ended up doing so little. It was a bit of an embarrassment. We are doing a beyond or a before, or whatever, of that episode. Yes. We have to, right? We have to. We have to. Um, Well, finally, the last question that the interviewer asked in the Television Academy interview 
um, which I think is a great ending for this deep dive into the life and career of B. Arthur. As an artist. As an important artist. Oh, it's killing me. In case anyone didn't hear, because the interviewer's voice is really soft, um, she asked, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, and to which be replied, me. as an artist, as an important artist. And I think, I mean, A, I think she was, yes. obviously. She's iconic. But also, I, I think that just goes to show, um, again, that this wasn't just a job for her. It was a lifestyle. It was everything. It was yeah. her whole heart and soul and mind and body and voice. And, it, and she gave everything of herself for art. And that's why I'm so glad that we're here talking about her today yeah. and her impact on television and theater and, and I, everything. I think it's so... Because um, that's exactly what she is. She's, she's an incredible artist. I think it's so interesting. And I go back to the part one moment that we talked about that... B. Arthur had a moment, you know, she left the military in 1945 and she went to a, a sort of a liberal arts college in Pennsylvania and from those first few years after she left the military. And she could have stayed doing whatever she was training to do. You know, she could have not at the her, in her late 20s decided, you know, I'm not going to be a practical woman and get married or, you know, have kids the traditional way and live a traditional life. I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to try to be an actor at that age in her life for a woman in 1947 was just unheard of. It was just unheard of. At that point, women were, I mean, they were like not being starlets. Like they were, she was almost too old to get any great I know, parts. 27 and, and to not be married and have kids at yeah, that time. Well, she was married. She was married, but mm -hmm. she, she didn't have kids. And, right. and it, 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 I think back to that and then having sort of gone over everything we've covered and to hear that, you know, one of her, most proudest moments is something or from early on in her career because it was that moment that sort of everything hit and that she wants to be remembered as a great artist. And it's because that, that 27 year old woman in Pennsylvania, probably taking a shitty class, a shitty math class, you know, was probably like, this isn't for me. And she decided to do something about it and she did it and she became a memorable artist because of it. And it's just, it hits me, and I, I'm I'm so glad that we did this, and I'm so glad that we have that context about B. Arthur because it changes the way you watch her on The Golden Girls and in every other thing she's ever done. It just changes how you look at her because she's just so important. She's so important. And on that beautiful note, I think we should take one final break and come back with some golden takeaways. I'm into it. And we are back with our golden takeaway, which is a nugget of truth or inspiration that you can apply to your life or the lives of our listeners. Carrie, what is your golden takeaway from this episode? So I'm glad I'm glad that we sort of ended our last segment with all of the sort of sentimental, emotional stuff about <laughs> B. Arthur. Yes, we can get silly um, now. <laughs> because my golden takeaway is incredibly silly. I mentioned this in the first part of this episode um the editing in this television academy interview is so wild to me there are some moments that they edit out that make no sense and then there are moments that they leave in the interview and i had you pull just two of them because they were so funny to me the first one is when b arthur's dog interrupts the interview let's go <laughs> ahead and play that moment <laughs> 
dinner and discuss what what happened during the first. Is that my dog? Yeah. Oh my god! How big is this dog? Because I wanted I wanted to add something. So they just leave it in. How big and is, like I wait, said, but that there, sounded, are other, there are other moments in this like, interview wait, 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 where wait, wait, she's wait, saying Carrie. something and she goes, oh, please, please just cut this part out. Please just cut this part out. Wait, wait, wait. wait. The sounds that that dog was making sounded like the sound the sounds in in the quiet place when the aliens are coming to attack the family like that dog is so big it sounds like the dog is trying to break into the room and in that final moment that it did yeah yeah <laughs> um so that was wild so she's is that my dog like i love they left it in it's so crazy yeah. so the other one is just an example of something that happens constantly and is left in and there were probably like six of these moments but i also thought they were kind of funny if you want to play the second one those never really took off so that it didn't but um i also um let's stop there to change the tape so that moment if you didn't hear b arthur would be in the middle of a sentence and the interviewer would just be like um let's just stop right there and change the tape it's and then and then the clip would go on. It would just, it would cut to black and then it would go on for another like two minutes. <laughs> so they changed the tape, but they never edited out like the last two minutes of black because they were getting close to the end. Anyway, it's just so funny to me. They're interviewing iconic legend B. Arthur about her career. Yeah. And they're leaving in moments of dogs knocking <laughs> shit over. And like, it just, it's so, it, and this is another reason why you have to watch it is because it, it feels a little bit like I'm watching a Christopher Guest movie. It's so funny. Um, it's, Okay. It's, so that's mine. My golden takeaway from this episode is um, now we talked about so many moments in B. Arthur's career. Of course, we couldn't talk about all of them because there are just so many, but we talked about the major ones. But there is one moment that in this interview that we covered, um, she didn't bring it up. She, For what I could find, she never talked about this moment in her career in any other place. Um, but it is perhaps my absolute favorite moment from B. Arthur's career. Um, I have a little clip from it. Here, let me play it. I'm B. Arthur with a message for women who take Bremerin. Don't. It's made of horse urine. I'm not kidding. Please call Peter for free information on effective animal-friendly brands. It's made of horse urine. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Oh God! And I, oh, God. I and the thing is, like you know, now you know, you know, you know. If oh. B. Arthur was alive and she was in the room and she heard me making fun of it, she would be offended <laughs> and she would be angry at me. And I fully understand that, but. It is such a wildly funny. It's a. It's literally like a ten second clip on YouTube that I watch so often. Here's the thing, though. B. Arthur said she's always funniest when she's just being truthful, and like I gotta say, I cannot disagree with the woman. It is so. I'm so glad that she was doing it. Yes, animal rights, a hundred percent. It's yeah. just so funny it's so funny it is so funny <laughs> and to me it is the perfect end to the life and career of br oh there. wow Ooh. we've got to work that clip into the show somehow yes. um 
Wow. Guys, thank you all so, so much for listening. We are here. We are here forever. We will catch you back here next week for more Golden Girls greatness. And guys, remember that we are a part of Mom Moguls of Media. So go subscribe to Mom Plus because it's fantastic. And you can follow us on social media at, I don't have the doc in front of me, so I'm going to go blind here. Golden Girls Pod on Twitter. On Instagram, we are out on the Lanai official on Facebook, we are Golden Girls Pod as well. And I, I know this one, am Sadie Pine slash H. Allen Scott on everything. Yes, I am Squidzy on Instagram and Squid Eat Squid on Twitter. And like H. Allen slash Sadie Pine said at the top of the show, if you have a moment, please rate and review this podcast wherever you get it. The more ratings we get, the more the show will get bumped up in searches, the more people will discover it. And our lovely kick-ass community of Golden Girls fans is just going to grow bigger and a bigger. Go do it. It's made of horse urine. Um, guys. Urine. <laughs> it's urine. 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 Remember. <laughs> stay. Oh, yeah. Stay golden. <laughs> it's late. It's so late. <laughs> Out on the Lanai is not endorsed by Wit Thomas Harris Productions, Touchstone Television, Disney, or any of its subsidiaries. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names, pictures, audio, and video clips of the Golden Girls are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders.